numbers. If we want to uh, produce uh, 1,000 megawatts during one year with a standard power plant, whatever it would be, if you use coal or oil or gas, you need to use raw material which are of the order of millions of tons. Uh, for coal, for example, is of the order of 10 million of tons. The same amount of energy okay, produced with fusion power, it will be only, only 350 kilograms of hydrogen. So a very small quantity of material and you release only 350 kilograms of helium. While if you use coal, for example, or oil, you will release in the atmosphere, okay, uh, 40 millions of tons of uh, greenhouse and some polluting uh, material. Welcome to Fringe FM, the podcast that explores the edges of human understanding and looks at the technologies, trends, and societal norms shaping our collective future. Here, the world's top minds share their insights and predictions on the convergence, direction, and ethics of exponential technologies transforming life as we know it. You can learn more and stay up to date at fringe.fm. You've heard of mutually assured destruction, but what about mutually assured prosperity? Today, we're diving deep into the Cold War, looking at the Soviet Union and the United States and the agreement they signed, the ITER agreement, focused on creating fusion in our lifetimes to power our planet. Today, we have Bernard Bigot on the program. Bernard's the director general of the ITER organization, an international fusion science and technology research facility based in France. The ITER organization has the ambitious goal of creating net positive fusion for the world, i.e. creating a star to power humanity right here on Earth. With a 20 billion euro budget and 35 nations around the world signed on board, ITER is one of, if not the most promising projects when it comes to fusion. In addition to his illustrious career as an educator and researcher, Bernard's authored over 70 publications in theoretical chemistry. And in addition to that, he's a commander in the French Order of the Legion of Honor, a commander in the Royal Swedish Order of the Polar Star. Energy is the key to mankind's social and economic development. Today, 80% of the energy consumed in the world comes from fossil fuels, and we all know this resource won't last forever. Fusion energy has the potential to last for millions of years, harnessing the power of the sun in an opportunity we cannot miss. In this wide-ranging discussion, we discuss the future of fusion and where we're headed, why nuclear fusion still hasn't achieved net positive energy generation, how ITER is building a fusion reactor, i.e. a tokamak, of the future to supply safe, clean energy for the world, the climate change problem and how fusion helps, why fusion's taken so long to see the light of day, the importance of governmental collaboration in large-scale scientific research, how fusion differs from traditional nuclear power, i.e. fission, the implications of nearly free energy, and Bernard's thoughts on creating a star. And now, without further ado, I give you Director General Bernard Bigot. And we had one other thing to add. We just wanted to let you know that Bernard is French and has a very strong accent, which definitely comes through on the podcast. If you listen to it for a little bit, it becomes much easier to follow. And I would recommend, personally, slowing down the episode, not necessarily listening at as fast of a speed if you traditionally speed up episodes. I know that I normally would, but it could be more challenging if you have challenges with accents. And now, without further ado, Bernard Bigot, it's time to talk fusion. Do you meditate? I know I do, and we've talked about it a ton on the podcast. The benefits are enormous. We had Ariel Garten on the program a while back, and she founded this company called Muse. They make a neurofeedback, i.e. brain-sensing device, that helps meditators, anyone really, learn to control their mind and quiet their thoughts. The science is great, and neurofeedback helps meditators achieve zen-level results in less time. I'm a big fan of meditation, as you guys probably know, and Muse is hooking listeners up with 15% off when they use our link. Disruptors.fm slash Muse. That's M-U-S-E. Disruptors.fm slash Muse. If you want to take your meditation and mind to the next level. And now, let's get on with the program. 
choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. For those of you listening at home, you may not have an image to visualize a tokamak, so we thought we would try to pop this into your brain. Tokamaks were invented in the 1950s by a couple of Soviet physicists, Igor Tam and Andrei Sakharov. If you want to visualize what a tokamak actually looks like, imagine taking a donut and spinning it around in a circle. So there's a hollow area, an inner center, and then an outer wall. What the tokamak is designed to do is to use a powerful magnetic field to contain the hot plasma in the shape of what's called a torus. You're able to look this up online, but just think about our rotated donut for sake of simplicity. And this magnetic confinement has been used to produce controlled nuclear fusion. Now what we're trying to do is get that controlled nuclear fusion to be net positive. Think about it like this. If you're driving your car, if you aren't using the gas, you're rolling down the road, you're going to stop. There's friction. It slows you down. There's energy loss. Energy loss is systemic and generally leads to heat dissipation, i.e. it feels warm if you feel your tires. A tokamak is no different. What we're trying to do here is to make it more efficient so that there is zero or significantly reduced loss so that efficiency can be driven up and tokamaks, i.e. fusion power, can become net positive. If we achieve that, you're able to shoot in a bit of power and pull out a lot more power. And now back to Bernard and tokamaks. So we like to jump right into things. So tell me a bit more about ITER and the history of fusion. Uh, as you know, ITER is a large international cooperative project in order to demonstrate the capability of fusion of hydrogen in order to provide some uh, okay, innovative technology for the world energy supply. Indeed, as maybe you know, fusion has been discovered at the very early beginning of the last century when the physicists discover that what powers the sun and the star is indeed fusion of hydrogen, which means, okay, fusion of the uh, hydrogen nuclei in order to produce some new atoms, some new nuclei, helium, and some neutrons with a much higher, okay, energy content than the initial materials. And they, they have been fascinated by this discovery and uh, they would like to be able to uh, reproduce such a phenomena on Earth in order to demonstrate. The real physics indeed uh, start uh, at the uh, early 1930, uh, late, uh, okay, 1930, with the discovery of uh, the capability to fuse some of this uh, material when uh, you uh, are putting some pressure. And I'm sure you know uh, the big discovery has been with the weapons, okay, when uh, within the Manhattan program, they have been able to demonstrate that uh, you are able to uh, activate uh, this uh, fusion uh, technology in order to produce a huge release of energy. At 5.30 a.m., July 16th, 1945, the world entered the atomic age. And uh, around okay, the 1985, uh, two uh, large, uh, uh, I would say, uh, policymakers, Gorbachev from Russia, from indeed at that time Soviet Union, and the other side it was uh, Ronald Reagan, taking advantage of the progress which has been accomplished by many okay, uh, scientists, including normally the Russian, which discovered a new way to use okay, this fusion capacity, which is called the tokamak, they decide to launch a large international cooperation program for research. Its name was ITER indeed. And the purpose was clearly to be able to demonstrate that we could use this fusion, hydrogen fusion phenomena to produce a large amount uh, of energy in safe 
condition without any impact on environment. At that time, they don't speak even from climate, but uh, they know that it will not be producing any greenhouse gas at that time. So it is a basic of the history. Indeed, the Russians in the early 1950s have demonstrated that you could use what we call a tokamak, which means a torus embedded in the large magnetic cages in order to force the hydrogen nuclei to collide uh, at high speed uh, with very high temperature. The temperature of the plasma, which were, are produced in this condition, could be as high as 150 million of degrees. And so based on this demonstration, more and more countries were willing to uh, see some progress in their capacity to master this uh, type of technology. And uh, uh, they know by, uh, as I said, the early 1980, that uh, you need a large facility. Below a given size, you have not sufficient uh, fusion events per time, per unit time, in order to uh, have a net production of fusion power. Uh, and it come with a ITER project at that time to have uh, this large cooperation to cope with uh, this uh, size request uh, from uh, the energy production from fusion. It starts like this. Yes, very soon beyond Russia, Soviet Union in the, at that time, and US, the United States, Europe and Japan joined the project. And they decide to launch a large okay, research program developed in three locations. One is San Diego in the US. The second was uh, Garching near München in Europe. And the last one was Naka in Japan. And uh, nearly 200 uh, engineers and scientists uh, have been working hard in order to come with a realistic design of uh, the facility which could allow us, which could allow the scientific community, okay, to uh, demonstrate that we could have a net production of fusion power. During nearly 15 years, from 1986 to 2001, all these people have developed this design. And uh, in uh, 2001, 2002, it was considered that the uh, design was mature enough to consider to build the facility and to select a site for locating this uh, facility and as well to decide about the governance of uh, the project. So from 2002 up to 2005, it was a large negotiation. At that time, beyond US, Russia, Europe and Japan, China and Korea have joined with a clear understanding that it could be okay, worth for them to be associated to this larger project. In 2005, at Moscow, they got an agreement on uh, the site location and uh, the will to start uh, finalizing the what we call ITER agreement between the seven parties since uh, after it was agreed in Moscow, India joined the project. So now we have seven ITER members. I just uh, repeat, is Japan, South Korea, China, India, Russia, Europe, including Switzerland and the U.S. Altogether, 35 different countries. So it was time now to, to move on and to, uh, to, to build the facility. And uh, it's exactly what we are doing right now on uh, the ITER site near Aix-en-Provence in, in France, with all the seven members being committed to build and after operate the facility for more than 40 years. Here is a story, and we are now very pleased to see that uh, 
we uh, are now over 50% of the physical completion of the works in order to uh, be able by uh, December 2025 to have uh, what we call the first plasma, clearly the first demonstration that all the equipment are properly designed, manufactured and assembled to cope with the scientific expectation associated with the ITER program. And to summarize what you're trying to do, it's essentially the reverse of nuclear fusion, i.e. what would create a nuclear bomb. You're trying to create uh, a contained star on Earth that just kicks off heat and energy. That would be like a, yes. a, a, a layman's summary, which is incredibly ambitious and can be incredibly impactful for humanity. Why does fusion matter? Fusion matter a lot because, you know, the world needs energy. Without energy, there is no economical social, uh, okay, even the biological okay, development. Energy is really the fuel of life. And we know that now, uh, okay, we rely uh, over 85% on fossil fuel in order to provide the world energy supply. This situation is not sustainable for long. It's just because we are taking advantage of uh, what we call interim storage of uh, solar energy, as you know, during millions of years, okay, uh, very large uh, photosynthesis has been able to produce a large amount of uh, uh, raw materials, which has been producing this uh, fossil fuel storage uh, now we are using. And uh, we need absolutely to consider an alternate option, an innovative option, in order to be able to substitute to this fossil fuel while we are now nearly, okay, 8 billion of inhabitants. People have to know that as long as we have not access to a massive and quite economically viable uh, source of energy, uh, the world was uh, only populated by uh, less than 1 billion of inhabitants, and the uh, life expectation was below 35 years old. Now, taking advantage of this highly concentrated fossil fuel resources providing a large amount of energy, uh, you are, I'm sure, aware that now we are using, okay, tons of equivalent of oils per year per inhabitant, which uh, are multiplying our capacities drastically compared to the ancient time, okay, we will not be able to, uh, to grow uh, as we are now. So we have not so much alternate, either, even if we develop largely the renewable energies, we will still need a complementary source of energy. Renewable energies they are mainly diffused and intermittent, while with 8 billion of inhabitants and maybe up to 10 billion of inhabitants, with a high uh, urbanization and high industrialization, we need continuous okay, energy supply, reliable energy supply, uh, and so uh, we need an alternate to the fossil fuel. Is why fusion is quite promising, because we have enough raw material on Earth to cope, to provide the world energy supply for billions of inhabitants for millions of years, not just a few centuries or millennium, but uh, even tens and up to hundreds of millions of years. And we are able to do that in a safe condition, safe because, you know, at a given time in the tokamak, this large magnetic cages with its vacuum vessel, there is a very small quantity of fuels, only two grams of hydrogen. And so if anything go wrong, the fusion reaction will immediately stop and there is no okay, storage of energy. So there is no, uh, no risk of runaway uh, of the process. So safety 
is absolutely one of the most uh, striking advantage of this technology. Again, it is a special plasma. is a very low-density plasma, a, a plasma with a density which is one million, okay, less than the density of atmosphere as we know right now. In this condition, no possibility to use it as a weapon. It's just, okay, for producing energy. Safe. The second big advantage is that uh, you, you have no impact on environment, on climate, because you are just producing a tiny quantity, okay, of helium, uh, uh, non-chemically active, uh, okay, uh, materials, chemicals, and uh, neither radioactive materials. So just to give you some numbers, if we want to uh, produce uh, 1,000 megawatt during one year with a standard power plant, whatever it would be, uh, if you if you use coal or oil or gas, you need to use raw material which are of the order of million of tons. Uh, for coal, for example, is of the order of 10 million of tons. The same amount of energy okay produced with fusion power, it will be only only 350 kilogram of hydrogen. So a very small quantity of material, and you release only 350 kilograms of helium. While if you use coal, for example, or oil you will release in the atmosphere, okay, 40 millions of tons of uh, greenhouse and some polluting uh, material. So you see, big advantage for this reason. And maybe the last one is uh, that there is enough, enough raw material everywhere on Earth, okay, in order to sustain this for millions of years. It's, the raw material is only water and lithium. So the quantity which will be involved are so small that you could expect that uh, no country will miss this raw material for their own okay, uh, needs uh, during long, long period of time. And so no competition worldwide in order to get this material uh, in order to satisfy the energy needs of your country. So it is with this big advantage that the seven countries agreed to work together to develop this technology. And uh, the technology is so challenging with many uh, technology to be pushed to their frontier capacity that not a single country could easily make this demonstration in a reasonable timeline, okay, 20 years or something like this. And it's why they agree to work together in order to make this joint demonstration. Once the demonstration will be done, we expect that we will have a lot of optimization and uh, in order to make things simpler and uh, affordable at the industrial scale. And realistically, if you pull it off, it means free energy for the world, which pretty much means free everything for the world, because most things are purely a function of energy and possibly raw material. That's probably why all of the governments are on board. Is It's essentially something that helps everyone. Yes. If we succeed, it will be a real breakthrough because it has always been a dream for the humanity to have a fair access to uh, energy, uh, safe energy, clean energy, uh, uh, okay, peaceful purpose uh, only, and uh, fusion could offer this opportunity uh, and uh, for the future is a really a very attracting option. We don't say yet if it will be feasible, but as many people said, it's worth to try and worth to know if we could use it. It's a, a so promising option that it's worth to invest in order to demonstrate. 
And in terms of investment, what's gone into the iTier project so far? And then on the flip side, so far to date, there haven't been any net positive fusion reactions that I'm aware of. How close are we? Okay. Now, the iTier project is quite a large okay, facility. The tokamak will be 1,000 cubic meters, and it will be, as I explained to you, with a high vacuum, okay, density of uh, over one part of uh, one million of the okay, density of the atmosphere. The magnetic coils okay, will be quite large also. It will be nearly 20 meters okay, by 20 meters okay, in order to make a very precise cage. So this project uh, is very challenging and the investment cost, uh, considering doing the whole construction phase during nearly 25 years, it will be of the order of 20 billion of euro. Okay, 20, 22 billion of euro. It's quite a large amount of resources, as you could imagine. But it is a precondition. It is a prerequisite to have, okay, this uh, uh, plasma able to provide 10 times more energy that we will feed in. So we will heat on a steady uh, state, okay, with 50 megawatt of uh, power, and uh, we will receive 500 megawatt. Ladies and gentlemen, Fasten your seatbelts. Doctor, we have a successful fusion reaction. We expect that in the future, it will be not a, a, fa- a yield of factors of 10, but uh, improving factor of it could be up to 60, 50 times. So very attractive. So far, many tokamak have been uh, okay operating in the world. Some of them are of the size of the table. The largest one now is in Kalam in uh, Europe near uh, Oxford in UK. It is a JET, the Joint European Taurus. All these different tokamak has been able to demonstrate that hydrogen can fuse. But their size is so small that indeed they need more input energy than you will get from fusion output okay, energy. The, the world record now is 70% okay, made by the jet at Kulam. But you have also some equipment in the US, for example, in California, in San Diego, with what we call the D3D. Okay, you have also in, uh, in Korea, okay, the K-Star, in Japan, the GT60, in China, the HEAT, in Europe, okay, the ASDEX, uh, also, and the Tor Supra, or the Wendelstein. So there is hundreds of these tokamak, and they, they help us to learn a lot on the physics, but their size is too small in order we have sufficient plasma at a given time in order to be able to produce fusion power. So is why is the name of ITER is very clear. In Latin, it says it is the way to go. You need to go through this side before you could expect to have a net outcome of fusion power. And then the goal would be as humanity scales to build larger scale versions of this, probably optimized so that we're able to have higher outputs of energy with smaller inputs. Exactly. Okay. The ITER project is a research facility in order to optimize the technology to improve 
uh, enhance the uh, scientific knowledge we have above uh, uh, on these phenomena. And uh, once we will uh, be able to uh, complete the program, I guess we will know much more in order to optimize and, as you say, to have okay more efficient devices uh, in order to produce uh, fusion power. Are you worried about the political landscape at all? I know the U.S. has been very fun when it comes to climate change and accords. President Trump believes climate change is a hoax. We know this because he has said it over and over again. So Obama's talking about all of this with the global warming and that and a lot of it's a hoax. It's a hoax. I mean, it's a money making industry. OK, it's a hoax. Uh, as you know, the U.S. right now are quite uh, okay, gifted in some way because uh, they have a lot of fossil fuel. They have also a lot of land uh, for some uh, the renewable development. But even the U.S. know that it is not sustainable for forever. Uh, and this is why they want uh, to, to participate in the ITER project. We have been lucky enough in the very recent weeks to have the visit of the Secretary of Energy of the U.S. government. And uh, I could confirm it has been quite impressed by the project and the uh, strongly consider that it is in the main interest of the U- U.S. nation to keep on on the project and maybe to, to, to take some leadership in order to uh, develop fusion. I am sure you know fusion has been early developed in Russia and the U.S. These two countries have been really the grandfather of fusion technologies and many of the equipment in the world has been uh, uh, supported by the U.S. in the past. So. If they don't want to, to be uh, uh, back, backsided, uh, it's really necessary for them to keep on. And I fully feel uh, every of the seven Egypt members now fully understand that it is on their uh, mutual interest to join their effort in order to uh, fulfill the objective of this uh, fusion program. Uh, just to let you know, for example, some component need nearly four years in order to be Okay, uh, manufacture with full quality control by some of the top company in the world, even working to shift. So you could imagine that even if a single country as powerful as the US or China or Russia or whatever in or Europe want to go alone, it will take not just 20 years or 25 years to build this equipment. It would take a century. It is not affordable. People want to know as soon as possible if either is an option for their future energy supply. And if it is, it transforms the political landscape of the world because free energy changes up the equation significantly. I want to I wanna jump a little bit more now into some of the implications of fusion. Where do you see us headed if it works and if it doesn't? Okay, if it works, I feel really it will be remarkable achievement by the whole humanity in order just to mimic what happened in the star and the sun for billions of years under full control on Earth. The power of the sun in the palm of my hand. And because it has been developed in a large cooperative way, it could set up maybe a new way to consider energy supply in the world, not just competing, but just cooperating in order to uh, secure the world energy supply, and as I said to you, without any impact on environment, on health, on climate. So very uh, large, attractive way. And the, uh, the lesson learned during uh, this cooperative research program could be maybe 
reproduced, replicated in some other okay scientific area uh, with, uh, for example, environment concern of water okay uh, management or uh, health uh, or security, whatever, which are important for all the okay, world population. So, from my point of view, this project uh, is a uh, as uh, some uh, real asset well beyond uh, the only uh, technological development and scientific possible improvement. So this uh, capacity to have, uh, as you say, safe energy, I don't, I will not say free energy totally, because anyhow, you need to make some effort, okay, to build, to operate. Uh, energy is never for, for, for free, okay, it's never, okay, uh, granted. You need to take some effort, but again, this effort could be much more rewarding that uh, in the past, when we have to, to fight in order to get our energy, uh, when it was just, okay, solar energy and uh, the wind uh, in, in the very uh, uh, early times before we discovered the fuels, uh, the fossil fuels. And now, okay, with the fossil fuel, with all the, okay, uh, damaging impact, it will be a fantastic uh, opportunity for the humanity to concentrate on other issues that just to have uh, uh, the need for energy okay, de uh, development as it is right now. What is the timeline right now for ITER in terms of when there will be a test? And then what would you estimate if things go well in terms of when we could see a fully functioning nuclear fusion reactor that was putting off energy in significant quantity? It is a very good question indeed. Let's think a little bit. Right now, we have a schedule. Our schedule is first plasma by end of 2025. It will be the first demonstration that a large tokamak is able to deliver, okay, his, uh, his objective, uh, able to achieve, okay, his, his mission. After that, we will have to complement the uh, uh, tokamak, uh, okay, uh, 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 assembly uh, uh, to install some uh, uh, extra heating to uh, okay develop the the fuel feeding and uh, okay proper separation plant uh, uh, separating helium from the remaining uh, non-fuse uh, hydrogen uh, okay fuels. So we expect to have full fusion power capacity by 2035. My expectation is that the scientists will work during the next five years in order to develop, uh, as uh, it is uh, uh, required, uh, the technology to provide to uh, the engineers sufficient uh, information that by 2040, uh, engineer will start thinking about the design of the industrial engine, the uh, industrial okay facility. So. 2040, in parallel, they will develop their design, and I expect it will last for five years, and uh, in parallel, uh, ITER will go on, providing more and more precise information. So by 2045, my expectation is that, okay, some uh, some companies will be ready to, to go on and uh, build the first industrial tokamak machine to be connected to the to the grid, to the electrical power grid. So it will take maybe 10 years, okay, to build this new machine, taking full advantage of all the knowledge accumulated 
by heater. And so it will be around 2055, 2060 that we will have, okay, the first facilities, the first fusion power plant connected, okay, to the grid. So maybe it will need 10 years to get full, okay, return of experience. Uh, and uh, so it is around the 2060, 65, okay, mid of the second part of this century, we could expect a large development of uh, this fusion power plant. And my, my guess is it will be really the, the last time we could afford to substitute fossil fuel at a larger scale and avoid to spoil more as we are doing now climate and environment. It could appear to you a quite a long okay, schedule, but you have to understand that uh, to have this uh, definite breakthrough, to be able to have a sustainable energy, clean, economically competitive, safe, it is worth to be passionate. And uh, there is not so much way we could accelerate the process. Because, as you know, when you are doing science, when you are doing research, you could not shorten the, ta- the time. I want, for example, to know that the material which will uh, okay, sustain very high energy flux, very high neutron flux, okay, could last for decades. And I could not uh, get this proper answer if I uh, am able only during a few years, okay, to uh, have uh, experience going on. I need sufficient time to have proper demonstration. Uh, if you do it even in parallel with many machines, it will not give you the same answer that if you use one equipment, okay, lasting long, long enough in order to uh, have a proper time demonstration. So people have to accept that we have to be patient, but it does not mean we don't need to try your best to uh, accelerate uh, as much as we can uh, the, the research development. And it, why it is so important in parallel of the ITER okay, uh, construction that in the world, some smaller equipment could go on uh, training best scientists, addressing some okay, specific issues in such a way that when we will have the ITER facility operating, we will be taken full benefit of his capacity and not just, okay, make some try uh, uh, in order to, to, to test things which, which could have been done uh, more efficiently on smaller equipment. So is why I am very supportive to have a large fusion program going on in all the ITER countries. I explained that we will have full fusion power by 2035. Could you imagine that the Young scientists, young engineers and researchers, which are now 30 years old, for example, after their PhD study or their engineering training, okay, in 2035, they will be, okay, 45, 48 years. So just at the time, we expect they could take full responsibility to develop the fusion capacity. Let's play devil's advocate. With a lot of emerging technologies, we see exponential trends where things seem to take forever and suddenly take off. How do you see that playing into fusion? And then what other technologies accelerate your progress? For instance, artificial intelligence, material science, etc. Okay, you are right. Uh, there is a, a, an induction period, usually, uh, when we speak about uh, science development, you know, and uh, some suddenly maybe there is a breakthrough and things are moving. From my point of view, what are the technology which could rely to, to be improved in the future, which could be providing a, a 
very very good uh, um, okay uh, impact uh, on, on the fusion uh, development clearly all the computing science all the artificial intelligence every capacity we have to model uh, the the phenomena and uh, the uh, operation of this facility will be a huge improvement a second field is clearly materials okay as maybe you know with a tokamak there is no moving piece so the coil for example there is no dissipation of energy so we expect that this coil could last for very very long so any way to ensure the coil could uh, could last longer could uh, provide a higher magnetic field uh, all uh, uh, demonstration that the material which will uh, help transferring the energy from the plasma to uh, the uh, cooling circuit and uh, to produce uh, the steam which will uh, make the turbine uh, operate uh, all this uh, could provide real improvement and breakthrough so my expectation is that uh, we are going on well interacting with uh, all these other community in the world in order to take advantage uh, of their of their progress and uh, their discovery. Do you think eventually we'll find a way to miniaturize fusion reactors or fusion tokamaks so that, for instance, I know we talk a lot about space on this program and space travel and having a, having a fusion drive or some type of renewable, seemingly infinite energy source for transportation could be very important. You know, again, uh, you have a minimum size if you want to have a net production of energy. As I explained, in any case, you need to eat the plasma in such a way that the temperature is 150 million of degrees. So in any case, you need to okay, start the phenomena by injecting a lot of energy. If the size is too small, again, fusion events will be not numerous enough in order to produce energy. So my expectation is that we could not expect to miniaturize okay, a fusion okay, power facility. It is not easy to imagine now. And so I don't feel it could be used directly for transportation. But my expectation is the following. If we are able to produce uh, with a very competitive economical competition, massive electricity production, maybe we could expect to use this energy to uh, facilitate transportation with, uh, for example, uh, energy storage, and some of these uh, different uh, issues. I don't expect that fusion could be a way to uh, uh, revolutionize, I would say, the transportation to go, for example, to space. Is, uh, as you, could you imagine that right now, for example, the tokamak and all the associated equipment will be weighing something around 23,000 tons. So, so, so large amount of material is not easy to imagine to go to space with this. Maybe you have a tokamak gas station, you plug in, charge up your battery. And then once we have that system in place, then we're going to accelerate the supercharger expansion even more. What, uh, what other technologies are you excited about outside of what you're working on? Uh, okay, uh, as you know, we use a lot of uh, uh, technology. For example, we use superconducting coils. These coils, they are this type of coils which could be used for uh, medical imaging. And indeed, already some of uh, the coils uh, and the superconducting material we have developed are used for medical imaging. It will be used also, for example, for energy transportation. 
So it's a good example. Uh, other example is, for example, we need to develop a lot of uh, metrology because we need to assemble this piece very precisely. And so this metrology capacity could be very useful in many, many fields, in aeronautics, okay, in uh, uh, civil engineering, and all this type of uh, okay, field. Let's think uh, also about um, some uh, other uh, issue related to materials. We need uh, to, 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 to assemble materials, very different type of material, steel, copper, tungsten, beryllium, all this material. And uh, so we gain a lot of uh, new knowledge on the way to assemble or to, to form this material. And so we expect to have big impact on many, many activities as a uh, automotive, um, uh, okay, uh, uh, industry or, uh, transportation, as you said, and uh, many other fields uh, are respective. The vacuum also, we need to develop a lot of vacuum technologies. So this uh, vacuum could be used in many other okay, area where you need uh, okay, this type of, uh, of technology in order to uh, be able to uh, fulfill your expectation. So for me, as always, when you are pushing the technology as the frontier of their capacity, there is a lot of spin-off which could be developed. Uh, data managing, we will produce a huge amount of information. So it's like uh, with the CERN, you know, and uh, the Large Hydron Collider. The scientists will need to be able to uh, manage to, to all this data, uh, to make them significant, and I'm sure there will be a lot of innovation in this domain also. In the control process, okay, as you know, we have hundreds of pumps, we have Okay, all these uh, different uh, devices to be operating properly and safely. So uh, we will learn a lot uh, about the control uh, okay, process on a larger facility. So let's say we do move towards a, a fusion-powered world. We start to get signs that fusion reactors will be successful, fusion tokamaks. The big challenge we have is getting there in terms of energy and transition. What would you like to see in an ideal world where we move towards a, a smaller climate change type scenario? Yes, clearly my expectation is that uh, we need to make this type of technologies to be integrated on a large system for safe and sustainable energy power. Uh, again, fusion is not the single answer to this uh, energy supply. Uh, renewable energy is st uh, clearly also a contribution. How we make them working efficiently in order to be able to switch from one to the other depending on their ability. So from my point of view, we need to, uh, to know how to manage large uh, technologies, integrating local production, small devices, okay, uh, uh, size of a house or family, uh, as well with this uh, largest one, and uh, all this interface has to be fought altogether. So it's my view that uh, we need, if we want to keep on with a billion of inhabitants on Earth, we need to have this uh, full integration of all the safe, sustainable energy working together. So pretty much a, a future of fusion plus solar power because solar would be nice, easy to distribute and works in most places where you could get a lot of the energy when, when fusion wasn't quite up to a par until we get there. Yes. You know, for me, it's a little bit fascinating. During billion, million uh, of years, okay, Earth 
has taken benefit of solar energy. It was the only source of energy with photosynthesis, with windmill or direct solar heat and all these things. And now we will try to make uh, this uh, fusion technology, which is powering the sun and the star, okay, uh, fully control on Earth and make them working together. So solar is uh, really the basic of all uh, our energy dream in some way. Everybody wants to have okay clean energy, and uh, everybody feel about uh, think about okay the sun power, the winds, okay the the hydraulics. All these are coming from solar, uh, and uh, uh, in complementarity uh, to cope with uh, the limitation of the renewable energy associated to intermittency and diffuseness, you could have okay the fusion complementing this uh, way to proceed. So for me. It's something which is quite fascinating to think about, but all the same technology will be the source of a sustainable energy supply for, for humanity for millions of years. So I know France was very big on, on fission, on nuclear power, not fusion-based, for quite a while. And it seems, to, it seems to be moving a little bit out of that direction. And a lot of the world is just based off of, based off of accidents. What would you say to people from your position being one of the leading experts when it comes to nuclear, both, I imagine, fusion and fission. What would you say okay. to, the, to the general public? As you know, nearly all the energies which have been made available in the universe is coming from, okay, nuclear phenomena, because it is where you have the most uh, of the energy power. But there is very different technology to use nuclear energy. One is the fission, where you break large nuclei and uh, uh, you need to use some very large devices, a lot of fuels, hundreds of tons of fuels, and uh, it is, as you know, quite uh, potentially damaging if you are losing the control of the process. The fusion is completely different. You are just trying to fuse atoms. This is a natural phenomena like the fusion is the fission, sorry, is just an artificial one. You never see, except in very exceptional case, you have energy produced by fission outside, okay, what has been invented by the human side. While fission is quite natural. And uh, again, the big difference is one is intrinsically safe, while the other, okay, could run away uh, out of control of the, okay, the people. So again, nuclear request a much more, much more uh, strong okay, capability of uh, control of the process, while for fission, uh, for fusion, it is uh, really much safer, no impact. So there are different technologies. It's why I never use nuclear fusion. I use hydrogen fusion. In such a way, people understand it is a completely different phenomena uh, of the fission of the uh, uranium and other okay, uh, heavy uh, nuclei, as you know. So let's try to uh, explain that fission okay, and fusion has not to be confused, and fusion is indeed a natural phenomena, okay? working for billions of years in the universe, and we just want to bring this technology on Earth. Bernard, I want to thank you for coming on. One question that we have for all of our guests is, what's something you would like to leave people with or something they should take action or do? So let's give them a, let's give them a challenge. It's a very interesting question indeed. 
as you know, now I am fully invested in order to deliver. And I don't think so much about, okay, what would be important for me to, 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 to live to, to the future generation. But maybe the best I could expect is that nobody remember me because it will mean that the fusion success is so large that just people want to go on and on and uh, just uh, bring back some contribution to the fusion development. You know, we could think about the people which built the cathedral. The people which built the cathedral, at the beginning, they have a drawing in mind. They are dreaming of, okay, something really unique, and they accept to uh, put some early stone in the foundation, and uh, they know that they will not be the one which will be completing the cathedral. They led to others, okay, the capability to think that when you, you leave your, your works, it is so fascinating and uh, uh, attracting that the other want to go on and on. So the best would be that after me, people want to go on and on to develop fusion for the best of the world and uh, the service of the humanity. And this is why they hired you to be the director general, because you take one for the team and make sure the mission comes out on top. Bernard, thanks so much for coming on today. It's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Where's the best place for people to learn more about you, ITER, and what you guys do? So thank you so much for your interest for the ITER project. And it has been very pleasant to discuss with you and to share some of my vision and understanding of why it is worth to spend some of your life in order to develop fusion. It definitely is. It's, a, it's such an interesting thing. And if you guys go to fringe.fm, of course, we'll have links, information, everything in the show notes. If you're interested, reach out, look into ITER. They're, uh, they're always growing and going and a uh, big mission. Yes, and you will be very welcome if you have time to come and visit the ITER site to see first and what we are doing and why we really feel it's worth spending all our best effort to deliver on time on schedule and quality. If you look at the stuff that governments waste twenty billion dollars on, I think this is uh this is much more this is much more worthwhile. Thanks so much for coming, Bernard. Hey, hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know you can make a tax deductible donation to Fringe FM to support our mission? Yes, you heard that right. Tax deductible. You can support us in the work we do and all the good that we're trying to accomplish in the world, or you can save your tax dollars for the tax man. It's your choice. We like to think we're a bit more efficient and important for the world and hope you do too. Fringe FM is fiscally sponsored by a registered 501c3 nonprofit that's focused on advancing science worldwide. This means that you can write off your donation for tax purposes and possibly even get your employer to match the donation. All of these would greatly impact the level of good we're able to do in the world and the quality of show we're able to produce. To learn more about supporting Fringe FM and whether your gift would qualify to reduce your taxes, please visit fringe.fm give. And really, if you care about our mission in the world and the work that we're doing, please consider supporting our efforts. You are quite literally deciding whether or not we continue and how much of an impact we can make. Again, it's fringe.fm give to learn more and support our cause. Thank you so much and have a great day. If you want more of Fringe FM, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to fringe.fm where you'll find tons of audio and video interviews with leaders in the fields of genetics, cryptocurrency, longevity, AI, space, VR, and much, much more. And you can follow me on Twitter at It's Matt Ward. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a quick review in iTunes to help more people discover Fringe FM.